0: Coming to you from Classic City,
1: the capital of the
0: Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and joining me today is my coach, Charlie, as we try our very best to answer all of your mailbag questions coming out of that brutal loss to Alabama in the SEC Championship game. Charlie, I'm reliving this loss on the air for the second time in as many days. The first time was bad enough. Here I am again for another round. I guess I just can't get enough. But this is your first time, Charlie, having to relive this loss here on the podcast and I gotta be honest with you, I'm not letting you get off easy. If I had to do this twice, you've got to answer some tough questions here, Charlie. So, very simply, what was running through your mind as you were walking out of Mercedes-Benz Stadium after that devastating loss, to Alabama?
2: Well, I mean, it was depressing that we lost, but at what point mean, I stopped watching? Well, I also I was gonna ask
0: you, at what point in the stadium were you like, "I'm just done with this"? Guy. I
2: also like couldn't. I I had good seats. However, the person next to me was taking up a large amount of space.
0: Oh, so you're calling this person My husband
2: was taking up. My husband can't sit still, so I'm constantly having to lean forward or backwards or stand up or sit down if I can't fit. And then I even got hit in the head when the person next to me was celebrating. And I was like, man, you gotta calm down. (laughs) Like, I understand you're excited, but, like, I can't get concussed so it's at like a football game. So it's like when you're game. on an
0: airplane and, like, the big, huge, broad shouldered like, Dwayne Johnson dude comes in yes. next to you? That kind of guy? Yeah. I Yeah. That sucks. That's tough.
2: I mean, it was depressing. And you're not a big person. No. I try not to take up a lot of space. But there just wasn't enough. But anyways, I am more so just embarrassed that I spent so much money to watch that.
0: Oh, Charlie flashed. I think the I'll
2: stay home next time. Can I ask
0: how much you dropped? No,
2: it's embarrassing. <laughs> you don't even want to go there? No.
0: I mean, honestly, like when you win games like that, like when the national championship game, I dropped an embarrassing amount of money to go to that game. I'm still I think back to it, I'm like, oh my god, how did I spend that much money for that game? And when you win, like the Notre Dame game, right? Going back a couple of years ago, the 2017 season, dropped a lot of money for that game, once in a lifetime experience, and we won. So it's totally worth it. But when you spend that kind of money and you lose, it's like On top of the fact that you're just devastated by what just happened in the loss and those emotions, then you got the, oh my God, how irresponsible was I to spend that kind of money and witness this? So I I totally get that, Charlie. I've been there. I've experienced those emotions. So either way, whether it's because you spent a lot of money or because of the loss, I know it sucked. At what point, because I know like when we're not playing well, you get so frustrated because I've said with you at games before that you just like stop even, you can't even watch. You're not even paying attention. At what point were you experiencing that? On Saturday, uh,
2: probably when we scored too fast in the second quarter.
0: Oh, so we tied up seventeen seventeen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> most people. Were I probably, actually had the same thought. I literally had the same. Most people re- were probably a little more optimistic than me. No, I, I I'm with, I'm with you there, Charlie. I said on the show on, on Sunday night when that happened, I was like, all right, it's great, but oh my god, we scored way too fast here, and we've got to get a stop. And yeah, that, um, it almost happened. We got to third and ten, then we decided to blow coverage, and that, uh, that was great yeah fun times
2: fantastic
0: fun times so i've just gotta love reliving this charlie isn't this great isn't this fun reliving I, brutal losses
2: what i've been dreaming of
0: isn't it is it cathartic last... in some way to just no. talk about it and it's like oh no. my god I want to cry about it but yeah here we are again but all right we've got uh, a ton of questions but first i do want to make sure to remind everyone out there if you are still in the market i know we still got a couple weeks charlie for the holidays have you made your trip to alumni hall
2: I mean, I go a lot. Do you actually? <laughs> I look at their website, yeah.
0: Do you shop more online or in person Alumni I know you're not a big shopper.
2: About half and half.
0: Right, whatever just happens to be convenient. If you're in the area, you stop in? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I that's fair enough. Like, if I'm in the area – actually, I go there quite a bit because I want to try on the new gear. <laughs> like, hey, is it – because sometimes, you know, is it what size is going to fit, different brands, different year, they, things fit differently. But if you're still in the market for your loved ones, for yourself, for whatever reason for the holidays – Alumni Hall has you guys, covers the best selection of Georgia gear that you're going to find anywhere at the best prices, the best customer service, everything you want. I'm telling you guys, they've got it, whether it's the actual clothing gear, whether it's tailgate accessories, whether it's hats, whether it's keychains, blankets, cups, mugs, pictures, paraphernalia of any kind, baby gear, Charlie, tons of baby gear, they have a whole baby section. Alumni Hall has anything and everything that you could want for the Georgia fans' life. So make sure you're stopping today inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in the Classic City, or obviously, if it's more convenient to if you're not local to Athens, you can, of course, shop online at alumnihall.com. And don't forget, for your next trip to Athens, please, I'm telling you, do yourself a favor. Make sure to book that stay at the Normal Town Cottage here in Athens, free tree-line parking, Three bedrooms, full kitchenette, living room, big screen TV, awesome host, short distance away from awesome bars and restaurants, just a a short distance away from downtown Athens. It's everything that you want in the classic city. So make sure to book your stay today at the normal town cottage. But Charlie, I think that's all the reminders for today. We got a lot of questions. Um, It's going to be tough to get through these. We're going to do our best, guys. So, Charlie, where are we starting?
2: You just have to learn to compartmentalize.
0: Charlie, that's... Of course, I do that. It's just hard to like when it means so much to you. It's like it just well, clouds Well, you need everything. to do better
2: at compartmentalizing.
0: Try. That's how I get through my day. How did I get through my day at work today? I compartmentalized, but as soon as you walk through the doors, you're not at work anymore. It's like, oh my god, whoa! I, I literally, I, I got in my car, shut the door, and I was like,
2: oh. Okay.
0: Depression setting again. Well,
2: I think you need to work harder.
0: I'm I'm trying, Charlie. All right.
2: The first question comes from Josh. He says, why did Kirby Smart think it would be enough to start Stetson Bennett at quarterback? He says, Bama has Bryce Young and we have a walk-on at the University of Georgia playing quarterback. What's your take on that?
0: You you forgot the last part, Charlie. You're trying to be nice. He said,
2: sorry, but Stetson sucks.
0: You were trying to be nice, Charlie. I was trying to be nice. I know. and I know. I know. We don't want to put that bad vibe out there. Here's my opinion. What's your opinion, Charlie? Tell us.
2: Okay. I would not... Okay. I'm going to okay. skip that part. Okay. Kirby gets paid a lot of money. A lot. Todd Munkin gets paid a lot of money. A lot of money. I think that maybe JT's just not as good as we think he should be, even though he was a five-star recruit. He's also very prone to injury.
0: Well, you can't not put him in because you think he might get injured.
2: I'm not saying he might. I'm saying he might not be as good as he was when He okay, was fair, a freshman fair, at fair, USC.
0: Fair, fair. I think that's a fair. And I kind of alluded to that in the. I don't
2: know. I don't get paid that much money to make those decisions, so I don't even. Okay, think but what do you say to it? the
0: idea of like, well, he might not be the answer. You might be right, Charlie, but we know that Stetson can't get the job done against an elite team like Alabama, who is probably going to be on our way if we want to win a national title. Isn't there some merit to just saying, let's at least see what we got in JT and try and see what happens?
2: Sure, but we don't get to make that decision, so...
0: Yeah, we don't. And I don't
2: want people telling me how to make decisions at my job, so I try not to...
0: And they, and they do have more information to operate off know. of than we do. I say that all the time. That That is the reality. But it, at this point, after what we saw now, two times in Alabama, you can say it's a small sample size, fine, I guess. But whenever Stetson has gone up against the competition, it has uh, not ended particularly well. But that's fair, Troy. I understand where you're coming from there. And just a PSA for everybody out there... I plan on doing a full quarterback-centric episode explaining why I think J.T. Daniels should be the player that we go with at the quarterback position heading into the college football playoff. I have a lot of thoughts on that, and if I shared them all on this singular episode, we would never get to all the other questions, and I want to make sure we answer everybody's questions. So I promise you, I will go into a lot more detail on why, first off, I think Kirby has started Stetson the vast majority of the year after JT's injury, why Stetson has continued to have that job, and why Stetson might continue to have the job in the college football playoff, while also laying out the rationale behind why I think JT Daniels is the guy that we should give the opportunity to heading into the Orange Bowl. So that's coming probably later on this week, maybe early next week, but that is coming. Actually, it'll probably be our very next episode, just a matter of being able to work some time in to get that done. But I will touch on it here, Josh. It is a good question. I think that when you're looking at why Kirby started Stetson Bennett and why he started him once JT was also healthy, I really think it comes down to just how practice is structured during a normal game week. Honestly, I just don't think there was enough time to rep two quarterbacks with the ones. When it comes down to it, in college, you have 20 hours each week to prepare for that coming game. That's all you give the players. That's meetings, that's practice time, film, that's all you can require. Now, if players wanna do more on their own, go watch their own film, that's fine, but the coaches can't mandate that. So what that means is that practice time, practice reps become precious because you just don't have as much time, thereby you don't have as many reps to go around. So when you're in a normal game week, the starting quarterback is getting 90 plus percent of the snaps with the ones. And I know you can say, well, you want to work JT in there and get him ready. It's just hard to do that in a game week if you don't think he's going to be the guy that week to do that, you're basically having to say, well, you know what? We're going to commit to JTB being the guy this week because you just don't have time to split reps. If you split reps, you eat into Stetson's reps and Stetson ends up still being the start of that week with you. You're not as well prepared to win that week's game. I think that's really what it comes down to. But yes, you're right. I said this earlier in the week on the official recap episode. The difference in the game was Alabama had Bryce Young and we do not. We have more talent as much or more talent pretty much everywhere else on the field except for quarterback that was that was clear on Saturday. They had a difference maker quarterback. We have a guy that I think we can win games with. Clearly, we can win games with a guy that I think, and I will stand by this again, I think we can win a national title minute with the right matchups. Obviously, the Bama matchup has not been one that's been favorable to him, and I have significant concerns about him matched up with Bama yet again for a third time. We've seen that story twice. Now, I will push back a little bit. I know that you're emotional here. Trust me, I get it. I've been emotional too, but I will push back a little bit and saying that Stetson sucks. Stetson does not suck. Is Stetson as good as Bryce Young? No. Is Stetson more talented than JT Daniels? No, he's not. But it's not black and white. It's not Stetson is awesome or Stetson sucks. There there is room in the middle there. Stetson is somewhere in the middle on that spectrum. He doesn't suck. He's not elite. He's good. He's a good solid quarterback that we can win a lot of games with if we are allowed to stay within our offensive comfort zone. Unfortunately, it's Bama. They were able to put up more points on our defense than I thought they would. I thought they would score. I thought they would move the ball a little bit. I did not see them. Moving the ball as well as they did in the second quarter, I did not foresee Bryce Young setting an SEC record for passing yards in that game, but it happened. And when we get in those situations, Stetson is just simply not the quarterback who is best equipped to throw us out of those situations, to put us on his back, rise to the occasion, and and mount that comeback. And he he did some good things, guys. I know you don't want to admit. It. I know everyone wants to, say, wants to say that everything Stetson did was terrible. That's just not the case at all. Stetson did some really good things. In fact, he did more good things than he did bad things. It just happens to be some of the the mistakes he made were debilitating mistakes for the second time in a row against Alabama, against an elite team. And I understand the frustration there. Trust me, I am very frustrated as well. But I will not go as far as saying Stetson sucks. I know that comes from a, from an emotional place. I get that, and and that's totally cool. I understand. This is a, a sport that we're all very passionate about. This is something that we all live and die for. I get it, but. I, I just, you know, for me, perspective here, Stetson does not suck.
2: All right. We have four questions.
0: They're all very related from Eric. so it, They're all great questions. They're related. And they're about the quarterback position, right? So mm-hmm. we kind of just, we're going to go with all of them. We want to we make sure to get them. I'm going to read all of
2: them and then you can answer them. Sure. I'll,
0: I'll take them as, as Write I, them down. As, yeah, sure as I can. All right.
2: What has Stetson done that warrants being replaced? What does JT Daniels give the offense that Stetson does not? Does JT Daniels improve or add to Georgia's struggles in the running game? And the last one, why is taking away a running threat at quarterback better for Georgia's
0: offense? All right, so that's a lot, Charlie. I'm going to do my best to not miss any of these. I might have to come back to you and ask for your help. Can you help me if I get lost? Because you know I'll talk a lot. That's something that I do.
2: No, I will not. You will not help me. Will not. All
0: right, I got something on my own here. I'll do my best. And I really like all these questions from Eric because it comes from a different place. It's nice to get a different perspective. Obviously, the vast majority of the feedback and the interaction that we've gotten on social media since the game on Saturday has been overwhelmingly negative and very critical of Stetson Bennett. This is one of the rare instances where we got somebody that was kind of, I think, defending Stetson in a way. So this is another interesting way to look at it. I'm glad we have a differing viewpoint here, and I'm certainly happy to address it. And What was the first one? What has Stetson done that warrants being replaced? This is a, a, good, a very good first place to start here with this question, Eric. I would answer by saying this. It's not so much what Stetson has done, especially throughout the regular season. He's been very good for us in the regular season. It's not so much what he's done that warrants being replaced, it's what he hasn't been able to do that warrants opening up the competition at the very least, heading into the Orange Bowl. The plain fact is that Stetson has been very good for us. I know people don't want to admit that he's been very good for us against good to very good teams. And the few instances where he has had an opportunity to play against an elite team, it's a small sample size. Really, like I think it's Alabama each of the last two years. You can say Florida be played a quarter and a half in that game, maybe, in, in 2020. But those are the elite teams that he has played. And it has not gone well for him in either of those games. I know in the first half against Florida, we had a really good game plan. He played well before getting a shoulder injury. So let's just throw that game out. Really, it's Alabama, twice. And in both of those games, he played well enough early in the game to, to help us secure a comfortable lead, a good enough lead. However, in both of those games, we gave up that early lead. Bam was able to take the lead and start building on that lead. At that point in both games, we needed Stetson to step up and be able to put the team on his back and lead us to victory, lead us to come back from those deficits with his arm, with a drop back pass game, without threat of much of a run game, without, you know, going bootleg off the run, sprint action, all that kind of stuff. In both of those games, both instances, he was unable to do that. And not only was he unable to do that in both instances, he also made some debilitating mistakes in the process that essentially eliminated any possibility that we had of even faintly, having the chance to come back and win those games and they were very very bad mistakes very very poor reads poor decisions now I will defend him in this latest loss to Alabama that first interception in the red zone was not on Stetson if you watch it closely on that first interception in the red zone yes that was a debilitating play but I don't put that on Stetson he was able to escape pressure which is what he brings to the table and get out of the pocket on the designed rollout and he saw Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers, it wasn't wide open. It was a tight fit. Maybe you can say he just shouldn't thrown it because it was too tight of a fit. That's a fair criticism. But on that route, Bowers stopped running. He hesitated. He stopped. And when he stopped, it allowed the safety, allowed Helms to jump in front of him and make the play on that interception. So that one, I really don't put on Stetson. Now you'd also say though in the first quarter, in the first drive, he threw what should have been another pick six. So maybe it all evens out. And really, both of those potential pick sixes, one of them actually was a pick six by Battle. The first one on that first drive should have been a pick six. He just dropped it. In both instances, Battle was playing a robber position. He's a safety. He dropped down to take away the intermediate routes as a robber. Stetson simply did not see him either time. And those kind of things just cannot happen. So if you're asking, what has he done that warrants being replaced? You cannot make those kind of debilitating mistakes. It doesn't matter if you've done some really good things. And he did. Stetson, I know people don't want to admit it, he did some good things for us on Saturday against Alabama. But those things are kind of washed away when you make debilitating mistakes like that. And I know that it wasn't two pick sixes because battle dropped the ball on that first one. But as far as I'm concerned, if I'm a coach, I count that as my Corbett threw two pick sixes because they should have been two pick sixes if the defense executes. They only execute on one of them, but they execute on both of them. It's a pick six. Stetson made decisions, put the ball in harm's way to where the defense had opportunity for two pick sixes. And you cannot beat elite teams in those kind of games making those kind of mistakes. Okay. So that's the first part of this question. Next part, what does JT Daniels give the offense that Stetson does not? This is another fair question. I do think that a lot of people in our fan base are maybe overvaluing JT Daniels and the impact he could have on our offense. I will talk more about that later on, on our next episode. But what does JT give us that Stetson and does not? I think that JT gives us just a more polished passer. He is more accurate with the football, I believe he does see the field better. It's not to say that JT does not make mistakes. JT does. He has put the ball in harm's way before. We've seen that from him. I also believe that JT gives us more of a true drop back pass game. We have basically eschewed that with Stetson at quarterback. We've really changed the offense a lot to move the pocket, get him out of out of, out of that pocket, sprints, design rollouts, bootlegs, all that kind of thing. And we haven't had much of a design drop back pass game. Now, when we had to do that against Alabama because we got behind, He did some things okay pretty well at times made some plays, but he also missed some things and and threw a debilitating pick six. I do understand that it has been a limited sample size with JT, but I have seen enough from him in the drop back pass game to say that he opens that up for us more than Stetson Bennett has. And I think against teams at Calvary Alabama that can score, as we saw, we have evidence now they can score in our defense and we're going to have to score to keep up with them. I think that opens up more opportunities for us to score with those lead teams in a way that is required to win those games. And the next one here, uh, what was it? Does JT improve or add to our struggles in the run game? Uh, Yes and no. Obviously, he is not mobile, so there is no threat of JT running. What that means is you're going to have backside ends crashing more on our run game than we see with, with, with Stetson. But Alabama had a good game plan there. We only really only tried one design run with Stetson, and it was a yard and a half game. And they had it planned out pretty well. Even though we only pulled it once, you could see any time we ran those kind of plays where he could potentially pull it, they had an answer for that. Basically, what they were doing is something called a scrape exchange. And, and what that means is traditionally, it is the linebacker that has responsibility for the running back and the defensive end that backside defensive end has responsibility for the quarterback. Well, defenses have gotten smart to what offenses have done over the years with the zone read, because they're they offenses knew that, hey, the, the that backside defensive end, that in man line of scrimmage, is the one who has responsibility for the quarterback. So if he crashes on the running back, that means there's no one to account for the quarterback. We'll pull it and we'll get some yards there with the mobile quarterback. Well defenses have adjusted over time. And what one of the things they've done to adjust the zone read is is they've utilized this this strategy called a, a scrape exchange. What they do is they basically exchange responsibilities when the inside linebacker and that and that backside defensive end. So when the backside defensive end crashes, he's doing what he's supposed to do if you have a scrape exchange on. And the, the linebacker, instead of taking the running back, is now sitting there on the backside waiting for the quarterback. And that's exactly what they did to us. So they had an answer for that. But here's where I will say that JT actually could potentially add something to our run game. I do think, again, he gives us more of a true drop back pass game. And I do think the threat of that with JT in the game, of utilizing those outside receivers, those weapons outside, will have an impact on how defenses defend this. You will not see as many defenses roll those safeties down the box to get more numbers against the run game. Because if you try to hold up a man coverage in some of the receivers that we have outside with JT at quarterback, I think we are much more equipped to beat you the draw back pass game in that scenario. So you have maybe a numbers advantage there and just in a different way with JT at quarterback, even though he doesn't have that mobility. So that's what I'd say there. And the last one, why is taking away a running threat at quarterback better for Georgia's offense? So kind of just touched on that. And I'll also add this. I'm not sure how much of a true running threat Stetson is. Yes, There are plenty examples this year where he has escaped the pocket and he's picked up first downs with his legs. He's extended plays, extended some drives. All those things are true, but we simply do not use Stetson as a designed runner very often. We use him like two or three times a game, maybe. I mean, only once that can be at the top of my head against Alabama. And using him two to three times a game in that role does not have enough of an impact on our run game and the game in general to justify keeping the game if he's going to make debilitating mistakes like he did against Alabama in the passing game, which ultimately, I don't want to say that cost us the game because there were a lot of other things. Obviously, our defense played very, very poorly, but contributed heavily to us losing that game. However, I will agree with you, Eric, in that I have some very significant concerns about JT and his lack of mobility. JT is not like a complete statue, but he isn't that far off. And I do place a lot of value in a quarterback having enough mobility to extend plays, escape pressure, and then pick up first downs with his legs when everything breaks down. I do place a lot of value in that, and JT doesn't give us that. And you're playing a team like Michigan, who has two really good pass rushers off the edge, in Ajabo and Aiden Hutchinson, JT's inability to escape the pocket with those guys coming after him does give me some concern. I'm not going to sit here and, and lie to you and say, "Oh yeah, I got no concerns there at all." I do. I do. And the fact is, I'm just not sure that we have like a true legitimate answer at quarterback. But I think that we've seen enough over the past 2 years, maybe even 2 years plus against elite teams to understand for me to come to the conclusion at least that we need to have a quarterback in there that is capable of beating teams with his arm through the air. And I think JT gives us more of an opportunity to do that than Stetson Bennett. And yes, again, I will go into more detail on that later on in our next episode, but there's a a quick little preview of that episode for you guys. And Eric, I really do appreciate the questions, and I do appreciate your perspective, my friend. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile.
1: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, the next question is from John. He says If Stetson starts the
2: rest of the way, what does the quarterback room look like against? Oregon next season. Basically, in my opinion, who do you think hits the transfer portal? Okay, so does Stetson come back? If he comes back, does JT transfer? What about Carson Beck? And what about the other guy, Brock Vandegrift?
0: Brock Vandegrift. I think Carson Beck is the one I feel most confident saying he will not be back. I'm fairly certain. I've basically been told that from... Carson Beck. Sorry, yeah, I don't Carson remember. Carson Beck is the okay. one that's most likely to be. Gone. That's how
2: bad my memory is, everyone. That's, I literally Charlie, can't remember what he you said. Need to get that five out. seconds you ago. You need to get
0: that checked out. That's rough. <laughs> Carson Beck, yes, is the one I think I feel most confident saying that he's not going to be back. Because we have any
2: freshmen coming in.
0: Yeah, Charlie Gunnar Stockton.
2: Oh yeah, Gunnar Stockton. See, come on, come on, I, come on. The whole the recruiting thing is just—I. Just you need were just telling me
0: the other week about how you saw him get beat up in that in that playoff. I game. know,
2: but I can't remember anything.
0: Well, I just, again, Let's get that checked out.
2: Yeah. That's and concerning. signing day is next week. No.
0: Next week. Early no. signing day next Wednesday.
2: It's this Wednesday. Wednesday.
0: No, well, this is the last week of recruiting.
2: Oh, okay. It's, next it's the first February, first Wednesday in February. Used yes. to be the only signing yes. day. Yes, used to be one spot Okay, time. that's now what early I was thinking. gotten
0: it all out of okay. whack. So it like, is there I think they should day? just
2: go back to the one signing Honestly, day. Honestly, it pissed me off. Especially with the coaching carousel. Mm-hmm. It would definitely benefit schools to only have one signing. Well, it's
0: accelerated day. things the coaching mm-hmm. carousel for sure. And Charlie, think about this: George Alabama, you got you get punished. For playing in the SEC title game, you get everyone else got to recruit last week, go in home, make visits, see players, see their families.
2: Not championship we, games. We did
0: not get to do that, so we have basically we're trying to fit it all into one week. And you can say, well, it's fine. We're in the SEC championship game. You get to promote your program. We saw that some way.
2: coaches going to some places on Friday. Well, yeah, I
0: mean they they, but not like Charlie. Like they're
2: not it, like other schools they the road. Know, They'd be
0: on the road full time.
2: All right. So, so the question was, if Stetson starts the rest of the way, what does the quarterback room look like against Oregon next season?
0: Yeah, I think Carson Beck is gone. He's the odd man out here because he's not he hasn't been ready to play yet. And you have the other younger guys underneath him are probably a little more talented. Brock Vandegrift and Gunnar Stockton. I, and I think he's frustrated by not getting the playing time this year and being bypassed by Stetson. I think he's as good as gone. I could be wrong, but that's essentially what I've been told. The interesting thing here is Stetson and JT. I think there's a world where... I, I've told you guys all along I think Stetson Bennett is going to return. Because, Charlie, why would Stetson Bennett not return? Okay. The only reason I think he not, might not return is like, is like a Jake Fromm thing. Just so tired of getting beat up by the fan base and getting killed when he goes out there, and just and because it's not his fault, he's doing the best he can. He's playing as hard as yeah, he can. I agree. So he might be tired of hearing it and, and the negativity and the hate. and So you know what? Screw it. I don't need this in my life. I'm done. That might happen, but I think Stetson. I mean, he's been the starter all this year. Unless Kirby makes the move going to the playoffs to start JT and JT carries us the rest of the way, I think there's a very good chance that Stetson Bennett comes back. I I don't know. We'll see. I, I mean, I know he's a senior technically, but he's got the COVID year, so I think he will come back. JT's the interesting one. It, I think it comes down to what happens going to the college playoff. If Kirby decides to make the move to JT, which I told you guys earlier in the week, I'm not very confident he's going to do. He's shown no evidence of being willing to, to make a move like that basically his entire time here in Athens when it comes to the quarterback position. But if he does make that move that so many people are clamoring for, and JT plays well, and, and we win a game or two, and win the national championship maybe, which would be incredible, or just at least get there, I think there's a good chance JT might come back. I, I really do So I think a lot depends on how the next couple of weeks go And what happens in the college playoff The one player I think I feel pretty I'm very confident saying will be back Is Brock Vandegrift But outside of that, I think there's a lot up in the air Based on the decisions that Kirby Smart and Todd Munkin make Over the next couple of weeks heading into the college playoff Regarding who is actually going to start at quarterback in the playoff It'll probably be Stetson. And if it is, then I think Stetson returns. If not, then I think he might just move on and think JT comes back. I think it comes down to that, to be honest with you. Okay. Because we had, and I don't here's the thing too. I'll throw this out there too, Charlie. I don't know how this is gonna work now. Cause we had this one time penalty-free transfer thing, right? Well, JT's already used a transfer, right? He got the waiver. That was before that, but it was before the penalty-free transfer thing passed that legislation, right? So does he get an extra transfer on top of the fact that he already transferred once without having to sit out? Probably. Or does he have to sit out? I don't. I don't know that it's kind of a gray area with him. There's a chance that he might have to sit out a year since he's already transferred once if he decides to transfer somewhere else, and he's not going to do that. So it's like either if that's the case, and I don't know if it is that there's some gray area there. I, if someone knows definitively, let us know. I've I've looked into this and I can't find a definitive answer, but if you know, let us know. But if that's the case and he has to sit out, it's either NFL or stay here. He's not going to the NFL this year, right? After, I mean, after essentially not playing all year. So I think... That... I think
2: Jamie Newman would say, don't do that.
0: God, God Newman, I just forgot about that guy. Wow. <laughs> Blast from the past, yep. which wasn't all that long Last ago in the year. Past, Yeah. So I guess that's kind of how I'd look at it. Where it's kind of up in the air depending on how things go.
2: All right. Well, let's switch gears. As bad as Stetson's play was on Saturday, he wasn't alone in playing poorly as the defense gave up five consecutive scores in the second quarter... And first in the first drive in the third quarter. So Justin asks, can you break down why our pressure on Bryce Young seemed non-existent?
0: Thank you for this question, Justin. I think this is an outstanding question, and it's one that I don't think's been talked about enough. I will give a couple of our listeners credit. We had, I'd say, two or three people ask similar questions about why we were not able to get as much pressure, what was going on there. You guys are very perceptive. I know that everyone is ready to bury Stetson been six feet under and want to lay the blame for this entire loss directly at his feet. And don't get me wrong, Stetson certainly bears some culpability in this loss and absolutely contributed to this loss, especially in the second half. But I thought Stetson played pretty well for the most part in the first half. Again, I know it's very similar to what it looked like against Alabama last year. Same old story. I know when people are frustrated by that, but what was even more alarming for me and more frustrating for me was the lack of pressure on Bryce Young. Look, we know what Stetson is. I know what Stetson is. I know what he brings to the table. I know that he's going to struggle when we get behind by multiple scores and he has to be the guy that puts on his back and throws us back into contention in that game. He's going to struggle in those situations. That didn't shock me. When we got down, I felt like we were going to lose because I know that's not what Stetson's built to do. So that wasn't all that shocking. What was far more alarming to me was our inability to get consistent pressure on Bryce Young. And there's plenty of blame to go around. Certainly you can blame Stetson, the secondary. I mean, our DBs were out of position consistently and were blowing coverages in a way that I had not seen us do all year long. But kind of like Stetson, I wasn't altogether shocked by what I saw from the secondary. We've talked about it all year long. That is clearly the biggest vulnerability on this team, outside of maybe quarterback, if you want to go there. It's the defensive line, the defensive front, our front six that we have leaned on all year that have driven not just the defense, but this entire team. And they did not get the job done on Saturday against Alabama. And it goes back to what Curtis and I were talking about on the recap episode earlier in the week our game plan defensively to open that game I feel like was garbage. I I understand what we were trying to do. I just don't agree with what we were doing. Clearly what we were trying to do was pressure Bryce Young with four to five rushers max. We did not want to bring heavy blitzes in the first half. The vast majority of the time we were only bringing four. That didn't altogether surprise me I guess because that's what we've done most of the year and we've just been so much bigger, faster, stronger up front than everyone that we've played that we've still been able to be incredibly disruptive up front, stop the run, harass quarterbacks the whole nine yards. But clearly we were frightened of the Alabama passing attack. Let's be real. Our defensive coaches were scared to death of giving up the big play to Alabama's offense. And I understand that. We talked about in in the preview episode last week, that was one of the keys of the game. Don't give up the big play. So I don't mind the fact that we were sitting back with a too high safety shell most of the game. I'm cool with that. I advocated for that coming into the game. What I have more of a problem with was how we structured our coverages. We were playing far too soft, far too passively, giving them far too much cushion to open that game, far too much respect. I know they're really good. If you play them in press man, they're probably going to get behind you a time or two, but you simply cannot give them the easy stuff. I told you guys in the preview episode, this offense is built around RPOs. They really don't take vertical shots over the top all that often. They really don't. They'll do it occasionally, but more often than not, they are gashing teams with those glance routes off RPOs, and the best way to take those plays away is to get up in their face and play tight man coverage. You cannot, you simply cannot sit back in a passive zone defense and give them those looks. So what we were clearly hoping to do was sit back in those those soft zone looks, try to prevent the big play, and we banked on our front four, our pass rushers, whoever was coming. You know, we bring different guys at different times from different angles. We have a lot of versatility up front in our front six. But we were banking on the idea that we would be able to get to Bryce Young with four rushers. We saw what Auburn's defense in the front was able to do. We know that our defense front is better than them. Therefore, we gambled that we would be able to get pressure on Bryce Young with four rushers. But as you all saw, unfortunately, that simply did not happen. And I will give Alabama some credit here. Bill O'Brien had a good game plan. Clearly, they watched the same film that we watched coming out of that Auburn game, and they saw the issues they had on their offensive line, especially the right side of that offensive line, and they adjusted accordingly offensively. They came out early in that game and were trying to get the ball out of Bryce Young's hands as quickly as possible. And when you sit back in those soft zone looks you allow them to do that. Therefore, our pass rushers simply did not have an opportunity to get to Bryce Young. The ball was coming out too fast. If you're only going to rush four, I think the best way to approach defending Alabama is to play a two-high safety shell, two-man, and man them up aggressively on the outside. And we started to do more of that in the second half when we realized, oh yeah, this game plan is garbage. It's not working. We played more two-man. We played more pattern match three stuff. And we had more success doing that. But we still really were not able to get to Bryce Young. And in those scenarios with John Mechie out with him out in the second half, I think you got to start gambling and start bringing more than four. Start bringing five a little bit more consistently. Occasionally, maybe bring six in the right situations based off their downs and distances, based off their tendencies, and take some chances. And sure, there is inherent risk in taking chances like that. But you know what's even riskier? Letting Bryce Young just sit back there, just chilling in the pocket, able to scan the field and find open receivers. That's far more risky, in my opinion. Sticking to the defensive game plan here, real quick. I talked about in the preview episode last week how I felt one of the things that we need to employ was spying or mirroring what we call in our defense mirroring the quarterback. And we did that. However, I have a major issue with some of the situations that we put ourselves in and who we had mirroring the quarterback. Now, this is where Adam Anderson's situation comes back to haunt us. He's a guy traditionally that we have used in that role extensively. Earlier this season, going back to last season, he's played that role for a long time in his career. That hurts us. We were using Channing Tindall in that regard uh, once Anderson went out and once he had his situation. But in this game with Alabama, inexplicably, multiple times, we had defensive linemen dropping as the mirror, as the spy on Bryce Young. You had Devontae Wyatt, Jalen Carter, both multiple times dropping back as the spy. And yeah, both those guys are really athletic for defensive linemen, but they're not going to be able to contain Bryce Young in space. Case in point, Bryce Young's touchdown run, that was Devontae Wyatt who was spying him, who was mirroring him. And when Bryce Young Escape the pocket. What you're supposed to do if you're the mirror is you hug the quarterback, which means essentially you trigger as as an extra rusher. He did that, but playing a space like that, he's out of his element. And Devontae Wyatt tripped over his own two feet and fell face first in the dirt, into the ground. And Bryce Young waltzes in the end zone. That is a fundamental game plan failure. And I know we were trying to keep them off balance and keep them guessing. I understand that, but you simply cannot risk Bryce Young escaping the pocket. And being one on one in space with a defensive lineman as the spy—that is asinine. And that might work one out of ten times if you're lucky, if you have those guys in space. Now, if they're crashing the pocket, sure, I like their chances. But one on one with Bryce Young, as elusive and slippery as he is, as twitchy as he is in space, against a defensive lineman as athletic of a defensive lineman as they may be—it's—it's it's no. There's no chance. There's no chance that we're going to win that. But anyway, back to the original question. The base reason why we weren't able to get as much pressure as, as you saw against Auburn in the Iron Bowl, to me, really comes back to just the game plan. The fact that we were not dying at the pressure the way that Auburn was. Now, I will say Auburn was able to do that a little bit more because Jamison Williams was out for, uh, what, two and a half quarters of that game. That made it a lot easier. Mechie's really good. He's not as explosive as Jamison Williams. So that gave them a little more leeway to do that, but we simply didn't approach the game plan the same way. We seemingly gambled on the idea that our defensive linemen, our pass rushers are just so good and their offensive line has so many issues that we were able to get, going to be able to get there with four and uh, that clearly did not happen.
2: All right Josh sent in another question it's a different Josh,
0: actually. Sorry. Oh, a different Josh. This, this, is, this is good friend of the podcast, old friend Josh Stevens with this. Okay. One. What's so up,
2: Josh? Josh says, from a schematic standpoint, what was the biggest difference between what Auburn did and what we did in our past rush? Was it the mush rush? Mu-?
0: You have trouble <laughs> with know. the mush rush.
2: Mush, rush, or something else?
0: Thanks for the question, Josh. What's up, buddy? Yeah, it's kind of what I was alluding to and talking about in that last response we simply were not as aggressive rushing the passer as Auburn was. It's that simple. Now it's a little bit of a different scenario. Yes, Jamison Williams is in the game, but we just simply did not bring as many bodies. We did not bring the pressure looks that Auburn brought. We had a different game plan. I've laid out my feelings on that game plan but I do think that's the primary reason why we did not have as much success getting to Bryce Young as Auburn did. Now, the mush rush, yes, we did try some mush rush at times, try to contain him, try to push the pocket, contain him in there, but we also got uncharacteristically undisciplined in rushing him, kind of creating some of those open lanes when to take off and pick up a couple yards. Now, he didn't necessarily gaseous with his legs. He did have that touchdown run, was able to move the chains a couple of times. And also, it's not necessarily that like he was picking up yardage with his legs, but when you're undisciplined in your pass rush, you allow him those lanes to escape the pocket. You don't contain him in the pocket. If you're rushing too far up the field, you allow him to escape underneath the pressure, get outside the pocket on the run, which is where he's most dangerous. We told you guys that last week. That's where Bryce Young was most dangerous. That was one of the keys of the game, keep him in the pocket. And we just simply did not consistently do that. So it's just a failure all the way around from a game plan standpoint and at times it wasn't always a, a massive failure from execution standpoint but far too often it was
1: you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads go to lips and with Alabama
2: and the national championship game, personally, I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here. We are getting way ahead of ourselves in wow. a huge
0: game up first. But, but Charlie, this is what we do on podcasts. People want to speculate, and we've got to be speaking a show of, for people. Okay,
2: well, but speaking of the Orange Bowl, have you seen the ticket prices?
0: Um, yeah, astronomical. I mean, um, it's um, it's frightening. I I have my request in to see if I can get them through the university, but we're only the university's only getting. I think like. 12 and a half maybe thirteen thousand tickets. Well, but wasn't it There's for no the? way, SC- I'm gonna get them. But
2: wasn't it for the SEC championship game this year? You had to have like 62,000 points. It was like sixty
0: four thousand. was insane,
2: right? So, so
0: I'm not gonna get them. I, I don't have. I I, look, I, I'm a humble man. I make enough money to, to do do things I want to do. I don't make that. I'm not a Mingle society person. I'm not one of the special people, the chosen ones. So I don't get to get tickets like that anymore. Once upon a time, I did. Now, not so. Much. I don't
2: even know if we put in to try and get them.
0: I did, and then I, then I took saw a flyer. On, why not.
2: I saw on Twitter that someone was like, oh, you know, Georgia, they thought they were gonna win. I wonder if they can sell, if they'll have a full house at the Orange
0: Bowl. Well, I mean, we'll Compared sell to like Michigan, because yeah, Michigan well, will
2: travel too. But like, I'm pretty sure there will probably be more red.
0: I don't know, Charlie. Michigan, they haven't been here in a long time. They, they've been down for a while. And, and down's relative, but they haven't been in a position to be in this. In, uh, and there's also the negativity after the Bama loss coming out. Oh, my God, we don't really have a chance. Everyone's – like, it's crazy how but I think the that mindset the, well, changes in, in, like, Now it's my Twitter days.
2: feed, but – because you only see what Twitter you want is, to see. Uh, but you, is only, see what, what the, funhouse, you only see what it feeds you. So yes. my Twitter feed is, like, yes, we lost, but we will win the national championship. So it's, like, yes – and thinking back to the SEC championship, as far as tickets go, there may have been 25% of the stadium full with Alabama
0: fans. You might, you're being like, generous, Like, it was a Charlie. small was a corner,
2: and it was only the lower level.
0: It was minimum 75% Georgia. Minimum. Yeah. Minimum 75% Georgia.
2: So we all look like fools for playing that much money. <laughs>
0: In the Alabama side, did you see the prices? The Alabama side, they were like half of what we were paying. On the well, Georgia
2: good side. for those people. Because and honestly, that was I was sitting in the stadium.
0: I was like, well, next time I'm just going to buy the visitor side because I mean, it's all going to be red anyway. Yep. And they're just like, good God. I man. think there
2: will be plenty of people at the Orange Bowl. But anyway, so again, uh, sorry. Off track. So the actual question that was sent in from Cliff says, how big of a loss is losing Mechie for Bama if the dogs get past Michigan? He says he never likes seeing guys get hurt, but it's a reasonable question as he had a great deal of success against UGA before he got hurt.
0: Oh, it's absolutely a massive loss. Charlie, I do agree with you that we do have to get past Michigan first. Clearly, Michigan is very, very, very good. I do think we match up better with them than we do against Alabama, but we'll have plenty of time to talk about the orange Bowl against Michigan. But let's just, for argument's sake, let's go with Cliff's question here for the purposes of this question. Let's say that we do get lucky enough and we play well enough to get past Michigan and we find ourselves back in the national championship game once again against Alabama. I do think Mechie being out changes things quite a bit. We did adjust defensively in the second half of the SEC championship game, and that is one of the reasons why we were were able to force three consecutive punts after their opening touchdown in that third quarter but you simply can't overlook the fact that John Mechie was also not in the game at that point. That changes things for Alabama. We told you guys coming into the game that they really have two options at receiver. They have John Mechie, you have Jamison Williams. Jamison Williams is the far more explosive receiver. John Mechie is I'm not a possession receiver, but more of a pure route runner type guy. But don't get me wrong, he can also hurt you with explosive plays as well. And when both those guys are on the field at the same time, it makes it very, very difficult to double both of them. You basically cannot. So one of those guys is going to be operating with single coverage if you're in man coverage. Or if you're playing zone coverage, one of them is probably not going to have a bracket over the top. Therefore, with their ability, they're usually able to find a way to create separation and get open when you only have one of those guys to contend with, all of a sudden, now you can do a lot of different things defensively from a coverage standpoint to take that guy, relatively speaking, out of the game. Neither one of those guys, whether it's John Mechie or Jamison Williams, or Devontae Smith. When Jalen Waddell went down, we kind of said the same things last year about Devontae Smith. i oh my God, what's happened to Alabama? If Georgia can get back to the SEC championship game, like, can we beat them now? They only have one of those guys. Devonte Smith was a different dude. That's the Heisman Trophy winner. Jamison Williams is really good. He is not Devonte Devonte Smith. So I honestly do think that's a game changer. I do think it's also going to hurt Alabama against Cincinnati. I'm not going to sit here right now and predict that Cincinnati is going to beat Alabama because there is quite a talent disparity in that game. I also do not trust Cincinnati's offense, but they are very, very good on defense. And they have a couple of really talented DBs led by Ahmad Sauce Gardner, who if I am correct in this, I believe this is correct, has not given up a single touchdown in his career as Cincinnati. So you have a guy like that, that can man up on Jamison Williams, and you can also give him safety help over the top just in case because there's no threat of John Mechie on the other side. You've got what? J. Lil Billingsley, tight end receiver kind of guy. You've got Slade Bolden. Ooh, scary. That is a really interesting matchup. Now, I don't know if that's enough to beat Alabama. Probably not because I don't think they're going to be able to score in the Alabama defense, but I think Cincinnati defensively could potentially give Alabama all they want without John Mech in the game with how they can match in the secondary. Because the fact is, guys, I know this sucks to say Cincinnati is better in the secondary than we are. So yeah, we have to get past Michigan to make that rematch happen for it to matter. But Alabama, I know this sounds crazy, also has to get by Cincinnati. And and I'm just curious what that's going to look like without John Mech going against that really talented Cincinnati defense and their secondary in particular. And if Alabama, let's say we do get into that rematch, if Alabama cannot score as much as they did in the first game, the first matchup this past weekend, then maybe we don't get in that situation where we feel like we have to play catch up and we don't get out of our comfort zone and out of our element offensively. We're able to stay in what we do and I do think that could absolutely be a game changer in a potential rematch.
2: Okay, Terry is looking at the loss to Alabama from a recruiting standpoint and ask how does a loss like this impact Georgia's recruiting efforts?
0: Yeah, thanks for the question, Terry. And I think in the short term, the impact is negligible. Most of these recruits that are this far in the process are not going to make a decision based off of the outcome of one single game like that. Especially when we still find ourselves in the Final Four, in the College Bowl playoff, still one of the four teams in the country left with a shot to win a national title. And as much as a loss like that hurts us, as much as we live and die with each and every play, those recruits don't necessarily feel the same way yet. They don't play for Georgia. Obviously, they want us to win, but they aren't as invested as we are because they don't have the years of investment built in, right? Maybe they've been following Georgia, you know, since they were, you know, five, six, seven years old. Sure. But they haven't been doing it for 20, 30, 40 years. Like a lot of us, they don't have all that time, all that energy invested in us winning these games. And they don't have the memories that we have of us falling short like that. So one loss like this doesn't impact them and doesn't register in their mind the way that it does for us. But in the long term, I do think if we don't eventually get over this Alabama hump and we don't eventually win a national title, get back and win another SEC title, at some point, you got to feel like the selling point becomes a little stale. Obviously, Kirby Smart is not Butch Jones, but let's go back to the Butch Jones era of Tennessee. Remember how well he was recruiting early on? Brick by brick, the whole nine yards, everybody, all those recruits were buying into it, right? Well, you can only sell that for so long. You can only sell a vision for so long before recruits are going to say, wait a minute, when is this brick by brick? When is this house ever going to be built? When is this vision ever going to come to fruition? You can only sell something new and this idea for so long. And if we continue to go on year after year after year, and we're saying, hey, we're right there. We're about to win a national title, but we continually fall flat on our face in the biggest games, at least when we get in these championship settings, then eventually you feel like that pitch might start to fall a little stale. Now, I will also accompany that with, with this, that Kirby Smart is a flat-out elite recruiter. He is a grinder. He is a madman on the trail. He puts a significant emphasis on recruiting in a way that very few people across the country do outside of maybe Nick Saban Alabama, to be honest. With you. And Kirby might put even more of an emphasis on it. So I don't think our recruiting is ever going to suffer under Kirby Smart because he's just that driven to make it happen and to get those players. And he's just that good at it. And we have a lot more to sell than most programs too. Just Athens in general, our university, there's a lot of great things going on here. But you do have to feel at some point, especially with the quarterback position, that if, if we don't start winning some of these games and if we start, don't start becoming more dynamic offensively, then maybe we aren't in this, in contention for some of these five-star quarterbacks the way that we have been. And we keep signing them. That's the thing. We keep signing these highly rated guys, whether it's you know Justin Fields back in the day, Gunnar Stockton this year, brought Vannegrift last year. We're in it for Arch Manning. Like We are, are still heavily involved with all these highly rated recruits at that position. But you got to feel at some point, if we don't start opening things up offensively and the narrative around the quarterback position does not change, you got to think in the long term, maybe it starts to impact how quarterbacks view our program. I think you're already seeing that to a degree with receivers. Now we've landed some good receivers in various classes, but not as consistently as we are at other positions. So I think you're already starting to see that at that position to a degree. It's just hard to recruit here when we're throwing the ball, you know, 20, 25 times a game and we're rotating as much as we do. And these guys just don't get a ton of targets. I do think that impacts That position, You can start to see that at quarterback as well.
2: Okay, Paul says, Without calling any specific players out, it really doesn't seem like we've ever gotten truly elite play from the star position, despite recruiting at such a high level all around, and especially in the secondary. He says, Our best star may still have been Mo Smith, who wasn't even a UGA recruit. He thinks a dominant star would make a huge difference for our defense. So why has it been so elusive, and how do we fix this?
0: Paul, I got to give you some props, man. This is an insanely good question, a very perceptive and insightful question. I, I don't have a ton of time to go into everything I want to say about the star position, but I did do a full X and O episode on this over the summer. So if you want to go back and check that out, I think we did we did like a scheme month that turned into like a, a scheme summer, basically. Uh, This past summer, and I did an episode about the star position and why that position is so critical. I was able to kind of get a lot more thoughts out there than I am just answering one question here on a mailbag. So I certainly encourage you, if you're interested in that, any of you out there, go check that out. I'll give you a lot of thoughts and insight into the star position. But just real quickly here, kind of summarize it yes, you're exactly right. The star position is an absolutely critical piece to our defense. And one of the reasons why we, and I will agree with you, Paul, I don't think that we have been elite at that position at any time in Kirby Smart's tenure. And Mo Smith might actually, at this point, still be our best star in the Kirby Smart era going back to 2016. We got him as a transfer from Alabama. I remember Nick Saban pulled the whole crybaby act over that, and ultimately the SEC came in and said, nah, he can go to Georgia. So most Smith was really good for us, but we haven't had that guy really outside uh, of 2016. Tyron McGee was there for a little while. He was okay. Aaron Davis played there uh, Sometimes in 2017 he was moved around a little bit and did some different things. He had some versatility there from a positional standpoint. And then we have Mark Webb in 2018, 2019, and he did some really good things for us, but he was not an elite star player. And then Tyreek Stevenson was, I think, groomed to be that guy. He was the plan, he was the guy that we wanted to play that position, obviously he ended up transferring. He was never elite there his first two years here in Athens, but I think he had the potential to grow and continue to improve and become a big-time player at that position. He just didn't stay here long enough, but the reason we've had issues at that position is because, honestly, it's just really hard to find that kind of player. Those players are rare because a star defender is a hybrid player. It's a guy that has to be able to cover in space and oftentimes cover those shifty slot receivers in space and also insert against the run. So you have to be quick enough. You have to be talented enough. You have to have the ball skills to cover, but you also have to be big enough, strong enough, and good enough of a tackler to insert against the run. Those guys are hard to come by. They're really hard to find. And we also blitz our star a lot. So you have to be a good blitzer as well. You have to be able to rush the passer. And this is an underrated storyline for us this year. Very few people have talked about him, but Tyke Smith, him being injured—not just the foot injury to open the season, but then when he came back and he tears his ACL—that has been I don't devastating is too strong of a word, but that has been a very underrated loss for our team. Because while Latavius Brini did some good things for us this year, and he's not terrible he's not really the answer at that position. And that's why we went out and got Tyke Smith, because we understood that Brini could come in and fill in a pinch, but he was never really supposed to be the long-term answer. And to to the point now that we've essentially benched him in favor of William Poole at that position, who, as I said earlier in the week, has played essentially zero meaningful snaps in his entire life until we decided to just thrust him in there in the biggest game of the season that is where we are right now with the star position. Tyke Smith's injury was very, 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 very bad for us because he's a guy that he's a little undersized, but he's a very good, very willing tackler. Also very good in coverage and space. And that's a guy that we haven't been able to replace, to be honest with you. We have not been able to replace him. We're already thin in the secondary. And when he went down, that was a big blow and not enough people are talking about that honestly we haven't done a good enough job on this show talking about that I will I will take some blame for that we haven't talked about enough here on this show but that's something that that has certainly been been difficult for us to overcome I'm excited that he will be back next year at least I think he'll be back next year that's what I'm hearing right now and I think that will certainly help us defensively but right now it doesn't do do anything for us the rest of the way in the cultural playoff and that's been a problem for us
2: and for our final question it's brutal
0: yeah, this is a brutal one. This is just mean. This is a tough one to even think about when I first saw it. I was like, oh, God. We Making
2: go us go back and relive all of these losses. But Mitchell says, or asks, do you agree this is the most painful loss since 2nd and 26 to 2017? Why, why did you just say it like National that? National Championship. Second and
0: tw- oh, God, because sorry. I like to see your reaction. I, like I still a, find it comical. You sound like a <laughs> bammer doing that junk. Comical? The, what happened?
2: No. Oh. Your reaction. You, you you even stopped listening.
0: I get, there's something that, like... Did your
2: brain shut off?
0: No, like, I, I, it, I felt like a twinge in my heart. I don't even know how to describe it when you say that. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ. Um, Yeah, that was the toughest one, obviously. I, I don't think this is the toughest one, Charlie. What about 2018, Charlie? Because, all right, we lost this game to Alabama, but we... Yes, we had a 10-0 lead, but it was short-lived. Alabama responds really quickly with that long touchdown pass... God, I still can't believe we did let them do that. But that's fine, whatever. Blown coverages, yay, awesome. But we still found our way into the college football playoff. It did not effectively end our season. I go back to 2018. We had the lead in that game for the better part of three quarters, and losing that game dropped us to number five out of the college football playoff, effectively ending our season. I mean, clearly ending any, any chance, any hope that we had of winning a national title. So to me that loss was more painful because we were closer to winning that game and losing that game had heavier consequences than losing this game this game dropped us from one to three but you're still in college football playoff does our path to the college football national championship get harder now having to play michigan and potentially alabama than maybe a matchup with cincinnati and then alabama or and or i guess it would be michigan probably yeah it makes it more difficult, but we're still in there. We're still one of four teams that has a shot to a national title. Not many teams can say that. In 2018, losing that game to Alabama meant that we were not one of those four teams that had a chance to say that. So they're both painful. Like it's really hard to rank the level of pain that you experience during these games. They're all extraordinarily painful. Every Georgia loss, it's just, uh, God, it sucks, man. And Especially when you had not lost a game since, like what was it, November or whatever against Florida back in 2020. It was not a welcome reminder of what it feels like to lose games, especially games of that magnitude. But for me, I think the 2018 loss was more of a heartbreaker for the reasons I laid out there. Well, all right, guys. Charlie, is that all the pain that we have to go through today? Is that it? Are we done?
2: I mean, I can probably find some other questions That's if you like I'm, to This is them. enough.
0: I, you guys have sent some great questions in. I appreciate it. We love you. But I, I don't think I can do any more today, Charlie. I'm tapped out done i'm done for the day
2: all right well until next time
0: yes until next time thank you guys for listening we always appreciate the support i know it's tough to listen to these episodes after losses although charlie actually our numbers go way up after losses like the number of downloads it's crazy when we lose games we get far more listens than when we actually win games so there's a bunch of masochists out there in the georgia fan base which is okay i understand you want to know what went wrong So uh, hopefully, but hopefully I'd rather not have to do episodes like this in the future, whether it gives us more downloads or not. I don't care. I just want to win.
2: I have a question for you. How many podcasts have you been avoiding?
0: Oh, I have not listened to any podcasts. I will not listen to a podcast probably for at least another week. A sports-based podcast. Hmm. I just can't handle. It. I can't hear. It. I can't listen to other people talk about how bad we are. I understand. I was there. I saw it. I don't need to relive it again and listen to other people tell us how bad Georgia is. But we I still don't need want to people
2: it. to listen to this podcast, so yes. you shouldn't be telling people yes. that you're yes. yes. But it's different them. because
0: we are Georgia people. We're not here to bash Georgia. We're out here commiserating with the people over how bad it oh, sucked okay. and trying to explain it. We're, like I'm trying to do this from an X and O standpoint. Yes, here's what we need to get better. Here's what happened other people just out there to bash Georgia and people who aren't Georgia fans out there just bashing Georgia. No, I, I can't do it. I'm, I'm not about that. Okay. Not well, about that I life. hope that your not about depression that
2: life, improves. Which I, I'm, I'm good, Charlie. I'm want?
0: actually, I'm good. I just don't, I'm, I'm actually coming out of it. I like got, I said on the show earlier in the week, it's my process. My grief process has been accelerated because, well, we're going to the college football playoff, Charlie. We're still one of the four teams out there with a chance to win the national championship. And it might not feel good right now, but I think given a couple of weeks people kinda of start coming out of this like, you know what, w we're there. And that's kinda of where I am. It's, I'm accelerating this process. I'm focused on Michigan. That's why I don't want to go back and relive this anymore because it's in the past. It's done. It's whatever. We're on Michigan. And when if we face bam again, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we gotta come to it. Right now, we need to be all hands on deck focusing on Michigan. Sounds Are you good. with me? Yeah. Let's go, let's go. Alright guys, well thank you for listening. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs!